Wait a minute. Don't I know you from somewhere? Yes. Yes. I'm George. George McFly. I'm your density. I mean, your destiny. There now. Nightmare. Safe and sound now, back in good old 1955. 1955? Now playing is back. To the future. It can't be done, can it? Continuing our retrospectives of movie series, we will be watching and reviewing all of the Back to the Future films. Hosted by Brock He's a very strange young man. Arnie. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. His parents are probably idiots too. And Stuart. He's a real nutcase. You hang around with him, you're going to end up in big trouble. These will be spoiler-filled conversations about the movies. So if you don't want to know the plots, then press stop now and play us in the future when you're done watching. My calculations are correct. You're going to see some serious shit. Today we're talking about Back to the Future Part 2, starring Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, Leah Thompson, Thomas F. Wilson, and directed by Robert Zemeckis. This is Brock. This is Stuart. This is Arnie. <laughs> and here we are with the second part of the Back to the Future trilogy. This came out in 1989, Thanksgiving weekend, to big fanfare. Not much applause, but big fanfare. And it was the big movie that Thanksgiving weekend. Because finally, after all these years of watching on videotape, to be continued, the story was finally being continued. It felt like forever, though. Didn't it feel like forever until the sequel came out? It did, it did. but I think time passes differently now than then. Because back then, I remember thinking, why are they making a sequel to such an old movie? And now it's like, yeah, four years, that's nothing. Spider-Man 4, you know. I remember yeah. it being like, when are they going to get to this? Felt like forever because as a kid, as you say, you just want to know what's going to happen, what's going to happen in the future. And so finally when it came out, I was so I was so excited when this movie first came out. I could not wait to see it. And it should also be said that Michael J. Fox's uh, stock had fallen as well. I mean, I don't know if Family Ties was still on the air, but he had been trying his hand at dramatic roles and not doing very well with them. Casualties of War and Bright Lights Big City. And so Light I was day. excited... Yeah, ugh, yes, as I've already covered. We really need to do a retrospective series of that movie and the Justine Bateman movie, Satisfaction. Satisfaction. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And Tina Yothers had her own rock career as well. well anyway, was. it was nice to see Michael J. Fox in a movie you wanted to see again, too. So that was the extra element. But yes, hotly anticipated. I definitely remember running to the theater to see it. I couldn't wait to see where they were going to go next. And you're right. The way that they left it dangling with it's going to happen in the future it was a whole new dimension to it because you know going back to the 50s we all have notions about what that must have been like the future could be anything it seemed to have limitless possibilities and that's a big question as big a question that's the first movie asked which is what were your parents like when they were teenagers this one asked what will you be like in 25 years 30 years 30, 30, years. Years. 30 years i think you hit on something really good there the first movie's premise was, what were your parents like when you were younger? Would you be friends with them? Would you like them? And all that kind of thing. 
this movie, this sequel, was not made with that kind of interesting premise in mind. This movie was made because the first one was successful. And mm-hmm. I think one of the major issues with the sequels here is that it wasn't planned. It was came up with, and so therefore the concept of what we're going to do did not come from, from such a strong foundation as the first one did. And therefore, I think if you have problems with this movie, and I think we'll discuss this as it goes on, I'm not going to blow my wad now, I think that could all stem from the premise not being as strong. Now, we start with the movie, and we see a refilming of the 80 scenes from the last movie because the really hot actress who was in the first one gets replaced with the hot actress Elizabeth Shue for the sequels. And they refilmed the whole things. And here's where I think they made a mistake, is they re- filmed it exactly am i the only one who thinks they should have just done what like the evil dead movies did and refilmed it differently (laughs) so that maybe they didn't go to the future or something no because the movie is really trying to stay in continuity it's not like they were going to do something radical they really wanted to create the illusion that this was taking place seconds after the first movie but i gotta tell you this screwed with my head because my memory of back to the future was that elizabeth shoe was in it so when i watched it (laughs) i was like how I guess I got that wrong. And then I'm seeing the credits and I'm like, oh, Spielberg's back. Zemeckis is back. The DP, Dean Cundy is back. Everyone's back. Who? Elizabeth Shue. I was so confused. (laughs) So back in time a second. In 1989, my brother takes me and my best friend to see the movie opening day where all three of us guys are sitting there in the theater. The movie comes up and they start the scene and Elizabeth Shue walks on the screen. The three of us go, oh, they changed the girl. Like, almost in perfect sync. We're like, oh, the girl is different. So they, re- they replaced her because she had stopped acting. So they had to refilm the entire scene. They tried to recreate it so faithfully. Arnie, you said they should have refilmed it entirely. I don't know which way would have been better, but I do know since they didn't do it exactly exactly, I kind of annoyed me because some of the takes are longer. Some of the reaction shots are different. If you're going to recreate the scene, do it. Here's my thing. As we talked in the last podcast about Stewart's and my opinion of Christopher Lloyd. The biggest thing you can see if you watch the end of Back to the Future 1 and then immediately watch the beginning of Back to the Future 2 is the de-evolution of Christopher Lloyd's acting. Because (laughs) any restraint he might have possibly shown in the first movie is gone here. And every line reading is a little more hammy. Michael J. Fox gives the exact same performance he gave last time. Elizabeth Shue does the same line inflections of the last actress. But Christopher Lloyd, he's gonna do it the way he should have the first time, which is bigger. You know, I disagree with you. I think Michael J. Fox in this scene and the first scene when they go to 2015 is extremely flat. I didn't feel his heart was in it at all. And I I thought Elizabeth Shue's takes on it were almost sing-songy, as if she was trying to imitate the person but didn't do it properly. Her entire Jennifer character, I thought, her line readings were just poor. Oh, yeah, she's horrible, but we'll talk about her. But I'm just talking about this beginning scene. I will agree with you both in so this much. From the very get-go, you realize that the mood is off, that the girl is different, the line readings are different. That is obvious. We're like, okay, we're blasting off in the future, and I don't have quite a good feeling about this. I want to say that when I first saw this in theaters, I didn't notice that they changed the girl. Did not notice ever. And I'd seen this movie so often and just completely 
never noticed it. And I, like Stuart, just thought Elizabeth Shue was in the first one. I did. Very I did. recently, I just had mentally redacted the original actress. <laughs> I thought she didn't come back because she didn't want to spend the whole movie knocked out in the back of a DeLorean. Because it's really a thankless girlfriend role, I gotta say. In all three movies, she is really just a prop that they shuttle around. Yeah, why would they get Elizabeth Shue, who at this point was fairly well-known? She'd already done Cocktail, which had been very successful. She'd done Karate Kid... Yeah, Adventures in Babysitting. Adventures in Babysitting. So, I mean, twofold, why would they want her and why would she do it? She wouldn't do Karate Kid 2 in 86, (laughs) but she would do this. Maybe because this is a sequel to one of the biggest movies of the decade is probably why she did it. Yeah, it's a higher caliber of people. She's essentially working for Zemeckis and Spielberg. And you definitely will take the bit part and get thrown into the back of the seat for Spielberg. And do all the junkets and all that kind of stuff and be associated with Back to the Future for the rest of your career, which can only help you. It's it's a career move. Yeah, well, again, they didn't know what they were doing because they immediately go into the future and knock her out. And so you're like, why did they take her? Why did they even bring her along? And they ask that in the movie. See, Michael G. Fox's character says, why'd you bring her for? And Doc says, because she saw the time machine. Yeah, that's lame. Why not have the writer give a better reason and actually have her do something? Well, I can tell you the reason. And, and I only know this because of the background information that I've read, is that they wrote the ending of the first movie as a joke. They felt handcuffed because she's in the car and because they're going to the future that they had to go to the future and had to have her there. They didn't want to tell that story. Yes, I understand that, but they should have told that story. I don't care if they wanted to. If they're handcuffed, then they're handcuffed. The way they did it was just completely the wrong way to do it. I completely agree. They had to figure out some way, gotten rid of that character that was better than they came up with. Leaving her in the trash bin and all that kind of stuff, I felt bad for the character. And then they completely abandoned her later in the movie for time to shape around her. We'll talk about that later, but... Yeah. Did we really have to pick up right at this moment? I know that that's what they set it up to do, and I know that when you're a kid, that's what you expect. But wouldn't we have accepted it if the movie begins with the DeLorean rolling by, and they're getting out, and they're saying, wow, that was amazing, and they're on to some new adventure? Well, that's a great idea, but I think that a lot of people would have been unsatisfied with that. And a lot of people weren't unsatisfied with this. Well, yeah, I guess what I'm saying is that, yes, temporarily you'd be upset. But if you had a better storyline, and I would argue that this movie suffers from trying to shoehorn itself into a situation that doesn't really want to go. If you had a place where you really did want to go with it, it would have been forgivable. I agree. And that's why I was saying The Evil Dead. If you've seen the end of Evil Dead 2, you see that it's different than the refilmed beginning of Evil Dead 3 Army of Darkness. Because where they wrote it going... at the end of Evil Dead 2 wasn't where Raimi wanted it to go in the third one, so he changed it when he did the next one, so it doesn't match. But I think telling a story that's interesting and that you want to tell is better than just putting something together because you feel you have to because you did it in the last one. And in refilmed scenes, we also see some inserts of Biff. Yeah. And Biff has matchbook covers for his auto detailing service. I didn't realize he was an auto detailer. I just thought he was George's bitch. Yeah. He also brings in boxes of books. <laughs> I thought he was just George's lackey. Right. I didn't realize he was an auto detailer by trade. Do you really need the insert shots? I mean, do you really need to do that? Because Biff sees the DeLorean again in the future, but he could have seen a DeLorean, a flying DeLorean for the first time. He didn't have to have that recall. And I always hate those inserts. I always, it doesn't really work for me. I, I didn't care. I think that 
honestly, coming from a nitpicker, I think you're nitpicking too much. On that <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> you know, I, I thought it was cool to see something we didn't see last time versus just the same thing. And the fact that it does pay off later, because in the future where every car is flying, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, in that future, why would he give a care about this DeLorean unless there was a reason to? Well, it doesn't matter because we all just care about what's going to happen in the future. That's the only thing we want to see. And then we get it. And it's 2015. So five years from now. (laughs) Right. Right. We're real close to this, guys. Uh, At least the projected future. Where is my flying car conversion kit? Uh, I want to get my Hummer in the air. (laughs) Yeah. Will there even be fuel in five years? I mean, they got it so wrong that people are reading newspapers. Like there's headlines and pictures in newspapers. I'm like, nope, nope. And they have fax machines to tell. (laughs) I find it always charming to watch older versions of like H.G. Wells thought people would fly through space in hot air balloons. You know, it's it's always charming to see what previous generations thought our present day, their future would be like. Uh, This is definitely an 80s projected future, right down to the fashion. You know, it's just like, no, this will never be in style. This was actually in style then. That color scheme was an 80s color scheme. And (laughs) somebody mentions wearing their clothes backwards i'm like actually you're a year away from that it's called crisscross and it will go very very quickly uh but yes here we are in the silly 80s version of 2015 i guess that would be then and marty has been given the assignment that they have to fix their kids but really he's just talking about a kid which is marty jr which conveniently looks like him and is about to get mixed up in biff's kids bank robbing scheme what is the scheme what is Yes, it is a robbery, and Biff has a child named Griff who has bionic implants. Yes. It's actually his grandson. <laughs> oh, it's his grandson? Yeah, we don't meet Biff's son or daughter, but it, ah. Griff is the grandson. Yeah, yeah I yeah. guess so. Biff could have had kids later in life. You know? it's, I agree with you. I, I don't know why they made it grandson, but they just did. Charlie Chaplin had kids when he was 80. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they had Michael J. Fox be the spitting image of his son, and they keep that going throughout the entire sequels of the people looking the same as their regardless of the genetic possibilities of all of that it was kind of fun to see how marty jr was different than marty because he was kind of a doofus but it was okay i didn't mind marty jr so much i thought he was he was cute i i did love how the bullying in 2015 by griff and his cronies were certainly stepped up a notch they're grabbing his scrotum and they're punching his face and they're throwing him over counters as opposed to just like putting fingers in faces in 1955 and threatening and maybe just a single punch i thought that was upping the ante if you will Yep. I gotta say, though, I was confused about why Doc would feel like they should interfere with that. There's a lot of back and forth in this movie about whether it's a good idea to play with time or not. There's talk about we have to destroy the car, it's a bad idea to mess with the chain of events, and yet Doc, because he is traveling around as a voyeur, I suppose, sees this incident with uh, Marty Jr. going to jail because he got brought into this Griff plan as being the start of a chain of events that would ruin the McFly name. But really, it's not because we get a wonderful exposition scene about how Marty got into a car accident and hurt his hand and ruined his rock career. That is the start. Correct. That is what he should have gone and averted, and he wouldn't have needed Marty to avert it. He himself could have averted that future. It wasn't that far off, as we will find out. So already I can feel the strain 
they're straining credibility in a way I felt like the first movie was effortless in doing. It just doesn't feel right. It feels forced. It feels sweaty. It feels like it's running laps <laughs> and it comes in and wants to give you a hug. And I'm like, no, shower first. Like, it's just a sweaty, <laughs> sweaty, forced mess. But I will say this about these introductory scenes. I did enjoy Club 80s. I thought it was funny. That was right when chain theme restaurants were coming into vogue with Planet Hollywood and Hard Rock Cafe and all of those. And it is funny to imagine that one day there would be a theme version of the decade that Marty was living in, the 80s, and that TVs would be the waiters and they talk like Max Hedrum and look like Ronald Reagan and Michael Jackson. All of that worked for me very well. In fact, they made a theme restaurant out of Bubba Gump, Zemeckis' Forrest Gump movie. I say... Get this one going. I would definitely go there once. I wanted to know why everybody talked like Max Hedrum, though. We never had any Max Hedrums but Matt Frewer. So I didn't get Max Hedrum, Michael Jackson. I did like that they were playing Michael Jackson songs because I was able to buy it. You know, five years ago, if I'd seen this, I'd be like, nobody's playing Michael Jackson. Well, who knew? <laughs> <laughs> I do like the Cafe 80s also. I thought it was really a lot of fun for all the parts in the future that all the jokes about Jaws 19 and the World Series stuff. And I think the jokes that still work are the Cafe 80s jokes. Yeah. And that was one other thing they got right. Jaws 19 was in holographic 3D. Well, hey, 2010, apparently the year of 3D movies. Yeah. Directed by uh, Spielberg's son, Max. I mean, there's a lot of winking and nudging. You feel nudged in the ribs. It's a little forced, but I did like the diner scene. And I did have some hope they were going to be able to turn it around. Marty basically steps in for his cowardly, weakling son and has a spectacular hoverboard chase scene that emulates sort of the skateboard scene of the original movie. And history is changed. And the front cover of the USA Today, uh, (laughs) I don't know why a... A, a simple larcenery would make the front cover of USA Today. Because USA Today paid $50,000 for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe it's USA Today for Hill Valley only. Maybe you know? USA Today is the only newspaper still in print five years from now. Uh, yeah. That is very conceivable <laughs> and believable. I don't know that they would be covering local crime news. Anyway, I go with it because it's always a good gimmick, that fading photograph gimmick they had in the first one. It works here for this. All right, he's changed it. USA Today would have had a graph. Yes, <laughs> a pie chart. <laughs> Lots of colors. Can we say one thing about Doc? So Doc had plastic surgery right? so that Christopher Lloyd doesn't have to wear makeup. This was another thing that just made me groan. As bad as bringing Elizabeth Shue along is that Doc suddenly is 40 years younger. Well, I heard about this in the commentaries. They did that for that reason. Also, because later in the series, he has kids. So he'd be like having kids and he's like 80. As you said before, Charlie Chaplin, great, but... They thought that would be an issue. You know, I haven't listened to any of the commentaries. Yeah. And I just figured they didn't want to do all the prosthetic makeup. That was my guess. Well, <laughs> we talked about it when we did our Star Trek. Like, suddenly, Jordy LaForge isn't wearing the hairband in front of his eyes either. Actors get tired of it. And they're not going to do the movie without Christopher Lloyd. So if Christopher doesn't want to do prosthetics, Christopher will throw him that bone. I mean, I don't hey, know. Hey, I suppose if Sam Loomis doesn't have to have burns on his face anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. These actors throw fits and they're like, all right. But of all the movies to have this quote-unquote work, 
They do have a time machine here, so they actually can do anything they want in that sort of thing to make it, quote-unquote, work for the story. Yeah. Sure. You know? Yeah, I bring up the point again. I never really noticed the old age makeup in the first one. I always thought Christopher Lloyd looked identical in any era he was in. So it, to me, it seemed like a, an unnecessary little joke. But anyway, so why do they go to the house? Someone explain this to me. Oh, uh, Jennifer is found in the garbage. <laughs> I mean, she is. And so they bring her home because everyone's identified by thumbprints. Since her thumbprint didn't change, they brought her home. So they had to get her out of the house because then the 2015 Jennifer would see her old self and a paradox could happen. You know what's funny? After we just talked about it, I had forgotten that Elizabeth Shue was in the movie. I'm like, all right, she got taken back there. I mean, that (laughs) is how memorable she is in this film. You're right. Okay. So yes, through this happenstance event, her incapacitated body is carted off to the household and Doc tries to go in and save her. Here's where the movie really gets into problems, I think. They've had this, you've got to fix your kids' lives, and now we've somehow made it to the household, and these scenes are bad. Can I just (laughs) put a fine point in it? They're bad for lots of reasons. I feel like, A, there's no Crispin Glover. Do we want to talk about why Crispin Glover is not in this movie? What is known about the fact that Crispin Glover did not come back to this movie? Because I know there was something went down. Okay, the answer is that he wanted too much money. He demanded all these things. He wanted Michael J. Fox perks. And they said no. And he wouldn't budge. They wrote him out of the movie. And then he sued Steven Spielberg, which is why he has the career he has now, I'm sure. Yeah. (laughs) Because they used scenes of him and had not McFly there. Right. The actor that portrayed him, because they got someone in old age makeup upside down, like they do everything they can to disorient you so that you don't notice it's not Crispin Glover. To which I say, did you even need to have Crispin Glover's character in here? Couldn't we accept that he had died 30 years later? But they wanted to be happy, I guess. Yeah, I but don't know. nobody dies. My thing is this. Sure, it's fun to see Michael J. Fox in a dress, but it's not like in the 50s, Michael J. Fox played the Crispin Glover character too. So why all of a sudden do they have to just keep putting these actors in prosthetics and have them play every single role? It started to feel like an Eddie Murphy movie to me, which <laughs> is a bad thing. I'm just like, when, yeah, <laughs> when, when Eddie got really insular, and you know when it goes bad, because Eddie's ego got so big, he went and perform with anyone other than Eddie Murphy and I feel like that same kind of insular incestuous thing is happening here where it's just like oh we'll just have Michael do all of it Michael can't do all of it alright he is a talented actor of comedy but the performances of his children and all of the other things that he has to do I didn't think were any good at all yeah and they were showing off a little bit what they can do with technology and that kind of stuff and that's all fine, well, and good, but I agree with you. It's They're kind of lame scenes, and yes. I, I don't care. I don't care at all, I, especially when they're setting up him getting fired and, and they right. have the, the hand oh, stuff. So I don't care about yeah. that. In addition to not caring, this sets up a plot that runs through the next two movies, which is the stupidest plot outside of a Saturday morning cartoon which is completely against the Marty McFly character we saw in the first movie, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, yes. he can't stand to be called a chicken. Oh. <laughs> or any variation of that. I agree with yes. you. It's completely like What the... It goes back to my complaint that if you wanted to make that believable, you needed to have someone with an edge in this part. Michael J. Fox, it would be hard to think of him as not a chicken. I mean, you know, he's not an <laughs> alpha male. He is not a tough dude. I guess they're going with the Napoleon complex. He's short 
He's, he was picked upon, but you're right. It's not in any part of the first movie. And if they want to bring in a major character development like that in the second movie, it feels really loopy. It really does not feel like the same character and, and is really throwing me. Yeah, and the fact that it's specifically chicken. Everybody says chicken. In the next movie, they mix it up and say yeller mm-hmm. and whatever. But the fact that it's chicken, it's such an easy thing to play off of. If you're going to give him a character flaw, can't you give him one that's a little bit deeper than what I'd see on the Smurfs. <laughs> yeah, it's a very silly thing. Just to walk people through, because they may not remember this, what happens is middle-aged, graying Marty McFly comes home. He's in a boring office job because he can't be a rock star, because of course he was destined. His band, the Pinheads, was just going to be huge. <laughs> but he has in a car accident that prevented him from playing the guitar, although there's nothing wrong with his hands, and everyone has cyborg parts anyway. <laughs> yeah, good and point. flee! flee from the Red Hot Chili Peppers goads him into a corporate, some kind of shenanigans that he's instantly caught and his Japanese boss fires him. Because of course the corporate bosses will be Japanese. Right, exactly. It's the diehard effect. My head is spinning at this point about where they have gone so quickly and how wrong it feels. I can't believe it. It is totally derailed. I'm like, this can't be what this is about. And indeed all it's really trying to do is do the inverse of what the first movie did which is that they have to change the future because it's unpleasant for marty i think they picked the wrong moment to go back i mean i guess that's my argument is that they obviously should have stopped the car wreck and let michael j fox be this guitar hero when you said the car wreck i thought you meant the movie (laughs) (laughs) no but i don't want to be too harsh i think this is a bad scene in a movie that is not as bad as this for the majority of it but this is a really really whacked way of going about what they end up doing which is that biff uh gets an almanac goes back in time becomes a millionaire and creates an alternate world in which he is master my biggest problem with this movie and i guess this time more than before when watching this movie is biff goes back in time in the time machine with the almanac to give himself but how did biff know how to use a time machine know to type in 1955 into the pad know about 88 miles per hour know about reloading mr fusion maybe he knows because he knows fusion technology in 2015 but this to me is a major flaw in the structure of the movie because even though he overhears that it's a time machine he doesn't know how to work the time machine the time machine didn't seem all that hard michael j fox used it accidentally (laughs) it was outrunning libyans though biff is just trying to get back let's be clear because biff in 1985 saw a flying car he is able to infer when he sees marty and doc getting out of said car 30 years later that that is the time machine that he can use to go back in time and within a matter of minutes figures out how to do that with marty or doc ever even finding out right he parks the car exactly where he left it i have one that trumps you rock i can go even further as to a problem you get this scene this exposition scene where Doc explains that timelines can skew off and everything. And so when they return to 85, you've got Doc saying, we can't go forward again to 2015 because it would be a different 2015. So we have to go back to the 55 to stop this from happening. Well, if that's the case, then how did Biff return to the 2015 from which he left? He went back in time and changed the timeline. He would have returned to a different 2015, wouldn't he? 
Absolutely yes, he totally right. would have, and they would have faded away. You know, they make a big deal about when you change the future, you uh, can't exist anymore. Like, you know, the whole photograph and Michael J. Fox looking at his hands melting away as he's playing guitar at the enchantment dance. They wouldn't be there. Yeah, it, it's not that they create another alternative world. It's that they erase that future. I mean, that's what they've already established. So, yes, it's it's continuity problems galore. They just don't follow their own rules. They're breaking exactly. all the rules, and it's all done because of a damn joke at the end of the first movie. And I just go, really? You are going to swear allegiance to this one thing and go on a totally wrong tangent because you set up the fact that they have to go in the future to help the kids. Something else that really bothers me is you set up Biff as the ultimate villain. Now, we talked last time Biff was a bad guy, and yeah, there was that awkward rape scene, but... Biff was never really a villain so much as an obstacle. Now you've got him as Darth Vader of the Back to the Future universe. I don't think Tom Wilson's an actor who could pull this off because every incarnation of Biff, Griff, what have you in part two annoyed the crap out of me. I did not like him at all in this movie. I didn't like old man Biff. I agree with you. I thought Griff, the grandson, was annoying, but he's such a throwaway character, really. But since we see him most of the time in the same role he had in the last movie, I thought he did okay. I just didn't think he was as good. There's the scenes where he's yelling at his grandmother. There's the scenes where he's talking to old man Biff. The scenes where he's fighting Marty. It seemed off to me. It did not seem like the same performance from the last movie, and I just didn't buy it as much. He's much more central now. You know, I feel like the calibration is off. In the first movie, he was a comical villain, and he was in the background, but at no point was he really steering the course of what things were happening. Which is what I was saying, yeah. The fact that it's all about Biff at this point, and stopping Biff... It's wrong. It, it, it changes the focus of the movie. I mean, this movie should have been about, if they were going to go there, it should have been about Marty confronting himself as he would be 30 years into the future and changing that. I don't think Biff would have to have to play a large role in that. Yeah, you didn't need a villain in this, no. I don't think. I mean, you didn't need this to be Marty versus Biff the way it no. became. And right. it was just, it didn't work for me at all. Couldn't they have stayed in the future? Wouldn't it have killed them to stay in the future and have it be about changing that? Yes, it would have killed their financials. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. the flying cars. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the hoverboards and what, whatnot, which was kind of a fun invention, by the way. Yeah, it was fun. But however, how stupid are people because they actually flooded Mattel thinking that they were real? The general populace is just so dumb. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. As far as not following your own rules, Marty puts the hoverboard in the DeLorean to take back with him from 1985, (laughs) and Doc has no problem with him taking the hoverboard, but he has a problem taking the almanac. You shouldn't take anything from there. But of course, Doc breaks his own rules, too, if you really want to get into it, because he has a facelift, and he fixes the car, and all that kind of stuff. And he wants to fix Marty's kid. Exactly. Yes. So To add insult to injury, on top of all of these inconsistencies, frustrations, wrong directions, they actually do the thing that they say cannot be done. Elizabeth Shue runs into her future self, and the only thing that happens is she faints. <laughs> so it's not even a big deal. It's not been a big deal. They then continue throughout the rest of the movie saying you can't run into yourself in these alternate timelines. Why not? We saw what happened. They that is exactly the my point. Yes. Yeah. They have just <laughs> totally f- 
fucked up the second half of the movie because the whole premise is is that Marty has to be inconspicuous as he maneuvers through the 50s uh, because it will be this extraordinary cataclysm should he meet himself. What? Maybe future self will tell past self that this movie was horrible. <laughs> that would be the problem. Yeah, if you're going to go back into DeLorean, I would go back to the screenwriting phase and say, you know what, <laughs> Bob, Gale, this is not the route to go. And it's not like they're not trying. I don't want to say this is horrible. This is not the kind of sequel where you feel like, oh, they're just ruining it. Well, maybe you do. Yeah, I do. (laughs) I really do. They're really trying to fit it in there. It's not like they didn't pay attention to what they did before, but they aren't doing it well. And it's... It's desperate. That's what I really just feel. Like, this movie is desperate to entertain, and it knows the marks it should try to hit. It knows what it should do, but in doing it, it just looks sad. It looks like someone past their prime trying to do old tricks. And I don't know. It's hard to know what to feel at the middle of this movie. I can tell you, when I saw it originally, I was, eh, on the future stuff. But when they go back to alternate 1985 and Biff is running a casino and he's turned Leah Thompson's character into this cosmetically altered trampy wife and Marty is his stepson and all of that, I thought it was really dark and that no amount of mugging could make it funny. I thought it was really depressing and just like the whole premise is of of these movies is that you want to go to that time frame and I'm like, I don't want to be here. This is not funny fun for me to explore this idea it's not fun for me to think about this alternative world it's nasty and the thing is it just was so extreme and i understand you want to set up a bad situation that they need to fix right but this was again a little much because of biff you have biff shooting people now it's like the rape almost a step too far. This is like a half hour of the rape scene. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, stop, 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 stop. And they just don't stop. You're right. He's trying to kill Marty. And he killed George. Yeah, yeah. And again, a really bad performance by Thomas Wilson. Sure is. Can I just say I've never seen him in anything other than Back to the Future movies. Has he done anything else? I saw him on TV a couple times. Yeah, but... he, he did some video games and some stuff. The Back to the Future ride. He's, again, the villain in the Back to the Future ride. Okay, so the answer is no. All right, thank you. <laughs> so the only thing I have to add, because I agree with everything you guys are saying about the alternative 85, so I'm not going to repeat what you said. But the only thing I feel when I watch these scenes is I don't like this. And I know that's what they're trying to do. But it's just no fun. And the whole point of Back to the Future movies are they are fun. And they try to get some of that fun later in the movie. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But in this section especially, uncomfortable is what I feel. It's not to the point where I feel bad for the actors in the scene. It's just that, can we hurry up and get this over with because I'm tired of watching it? Yeah, yeah. That's how you know you fail because the audience wants away from what you're creating for them. And they've completely forgotten both Doc and Jennifer. They dump Jennifer on a porch Mm -hmm. and Doc goes off to who knows where and we're left with Marty for a half an hour. You think the first thing Marty would do is go running to Doc. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole thing with Jennifer, they leave her there because they don't want to have her saddled for the rest of the movie. So they leave her on a porch and they say, when we put everything back to normal, time will just evolve around her and she'll be in the exact same spot where you left her when you come back. 
which is completely against everything else as we talked about. Yeah, because that Jennifer will fade away and a new Jennifer will be somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because they even say she won't remember anything. It's a tangled mess. I mean, it really... Yes. T- I can actually tell you the joke I broke with the movie and said, all right, this is a bad movie. When Marty goes back to alternate 1985 to his home, it's become a slum. They've changed the racial demographic. It's all black people, which I think is a questionable choice as well. And they make a joke out of a drive-by shooting. And I just thought, you know what? That is tactless. You need to keep this light. And the fact that isn't this hilarious that this white boy is running around from a drive-by shooting in a black neighborhood is borderline offensive. Well, wasn't the drive-by shooting at the principal's house? Yes. It wasn't in the black neighborhood. This movie tried so desperately, again, to please, and it's like they do things because people liked it in the first movie. We'll remind them of how much they liked it. So you have Marty waking up, and Leah Thompson's waking him up, and mm-hmm. you're safe on the 27th floor. It didn't work, and I gotta say, I was staring at Leah Thompson's breasts, and they <laughs> did look really prosthetic. That whole thing just looked wrong. Compared to all the good old age makeup, you think they could have done a better chest on her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looked fake. That thing looked like a mannequin. Like, they literally sawed the front off a mannequin and put it on Leah Thompson. I think the movie gets a little bit better when they go back to the 50s. I would say... You do? That's one of us. Well, I'm trying to find compliments where I can. (laughs) I feel like at least once we're set back into a familiar territory, it can start to feel again like a Back to the Future movie. Because up until this point, from its jittery future take and its really nasty, garish, alternative 1985 take, I'm not in the same feel. I'm not in that movie. When we were back in the 50s, I did feel like it was in that movie. I know when I saw it in theaters, I felt totally confused by this point. I was frustrated. I was confused. I didn't know what was going on anymore, and I just was done with the movie. Watching it again, knowing that they were going to end up there, remembering it that way, I feel like it regained a little bit of its composure in those scenes and that it adds a certain level of cleverness the fact that there's two of him running around i don't know why they had to dress him like michael jackson but (laughs) i guess it does clearly distinguish which michael j fox you're looking at which could have gotten really confusing if they didn't do a good job of that well i want to say that something to that exact point is that i want to give them full props for the idea of going back in the first movie and seeing things from different angles i think that's kind of fun Does it work all the time for me? Absolutely not. It certainly doesn't. And the big reason it doesn't, besides that it seems forced, is because continuity be damned, apparently they don't care about it all that much. You can tell clearly which shots were done before, which ones are repurposed for this movie. It's like a different film stock. Yeah, and his hair is longer, much longer in the back of his head. Now, I know that's a minor detail, but if you're going back into the first movie to find scenes of which they're going to use or repurpose or show us angles from, the least they could do is trim his hair. And so that always bothered me that you can totally tell it's a different Michael J. Fox. Yeah, I know he's older and he's a little stockier and he's a little more weight in his face, but I don't mind that so much as the whole package. I thought it was a clever idea to have them watching the first movie from the outside. It was a great idea, but it was executed really poorly. I go back to my point from the last one. They seem to be in such a hurry, but they forget they have a time machine. You know, they could have just watched Biff the first time and then gone back in time and knowing his entire schedule, gotten it. The whole thing feels artificially in a hurry. I had the exact same thought of, why not wait till November 13th 
and do what you did in the first movie with My Name is Darth Vader. Go into Biff's house the next morning. Take the book off his desk. What's the worst that could have happened? He may have gotten a couple of scores he wrote down or something. And you can steal it off his desk the next day. And the other thing is, is it me or is there a lot of shouting in this movie? <laughs> it just seemed like, even starting in the future, this whole movie is people yelling at me. <laughs> and I just got so tired of being yelled at by these actors. Yeah! Marty, Marty, please stop yelling at me. That's what I mean about sweaty, is that the fact that they've really amped it up in a way. I think it's because they realize it's weak. We got to be more, more, more. It's got to be funnier and bigger, and that bigger is funnier. It's a movie that confuses frenzy for funny. Frenzy is not funny. It's a mess. And that was my whole take on it. The reason why I don't like the 50s scenes is because my favorite aspect of the 50s is not there. There's no Crispin Glover. We don't get his performance here. And oh, he's there. <laughs> well, no, there's a man constantly turned away from the camera who they are calling George McFly. But he... No, but then they also reuse some scenes and some B-roll footage. Well, I don't count that. But yes, I suppose you could say that, yes, they use the clips from the original movie to create the illusion. But you feel the absence of Crispin Glover in those 50s moments. He's needed. He's a part of that world. To not right. have him is why that third segment cannot lift this out of the failure that it's become. They also add another subplot here, which, much like the Marty McFly is chicken plot, doesn't seem to fit for me, is they add that in the 50s, Biff was obsessed with Lorraine. That rape in the first movie just seemed like a rape of convenience. Lorraine was looking good, but Biff was there after Marty. Now you've got scenes with Biff screaming after Lorraine, someday you'll be my wife, and all of that. That was not at all there in that first movie. I I agree with you that it's completely shoehorned in here. You can make an argument that it's in the first movie when it says, say hi to your mom for me when he tries to come on to her in the cafeteria and Marty stands up to Biff for the first time. Yeah, I suppose there is that little bit, yeah. but it just seemed like too much here. I agree. I kind of figured Biff was doing that to every girl in the cafeteria, not specifically Lorraine. I totally agree with you. My big issue with the 50s, that as long as we're talking about the 50s, is Arnie, you made a great comment in the first podcast in this retrospective series about how it's kind of like a cartoon sometimes. I felt this movie in the 50s completely went to cartoon land. And I always liked how it was kind of larger than life in a lot of aspects. But here, with Michael J. Fox shadowing Biff just behind the car, in the backseat of the car, his walkie-talkie works all over town. (laughs) I guess I'll got to give that to them. But he's talking to Doc in the back of Biff's car, and Biff doesn't see or hear him at the time, but then later in the movie, he does see him in the back of the car. So it's inconsistent there. But why was it so cartoony? Why is Michael J. Fox on the phone the whole time? It just the whole thing seemed so over the top that it, it wasn't funny anymore. It wasn't clever. It was just lame. You know Zemeckis' previous movie was Roger Rabbit, so there's probably something to this cartoony thing. He had just spent all this time on technical innovation, making cartoons and humans interact, and I feel like he was still making that movie and not in the mode that he made Back to the Future with. Like, he was much more concerned with all the split-screen effects and amping it up like a cartoon world, as you say, and we don't have a legitimate sequel to the movie we all liked. On top of the whole cartoonishness of it, it's not as much fun as they think it is. No, it definitely isn't. 
if it had been funny, if I was laughing, a lot of these things could be forgivable. I could be like, oh, this is a shambling mess, but I'm still in Back to the Future. I'm not in Back to the Future. This is something else entirely. It's something that w- desperately wants me to believe it's Back to the Future, but is a fake. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Oh, good. I think we all saw the same movie. (laughs) Yes. You know, I will say, after bashing this movie quite a bit, one little turn towards the end that I did like, lightly here, because I didn't like much about how this is, was I thought it was kind of neat. After they've solved the problems, they've got the almanac back, everything seems to be like it's going to be set in order, that flying DeLorean is hit by lightning, which I don't know why it would go anywhere, because it wasn't moving at 88 miles an hour, but... It does. It disappears. And we have this really bizarre moment of a car and a man in a suit. That moment is pretty magical because it's really the only time in the movie where I felt like I don't know what's going to happen next and I want to know. I liked that a lot. In fact, the moment the car gets struck by lightning, this movie takes a turn. Now, it's only like three minutes left in right. Rush, but yes. I really like that last three minutes. Yeah, he works for Western Union, and we could have already guessed it because the time machine was having problems and fritzing out, and numbers were saying 1885. Well, indeed. Why would they say 1885 instead of like zero? I don't get it. Uh, because we have to go back <laughs> to the Old West, and we've been noticing by the Western Union man that Doc is alive, so to speak, in the Old West, and we have a nice little turn of events in which we watch the moment in which Doc has sent the DeLorean back into the future, the fiery car tracks are are streaking down Main Street, and he's relieved, and suddenly Marty, uh, Michael Jackson Marty, runs up to him and says, Doc, Doc, I'm back from the future, and we're off to whatever the third one is going to be. Can I say, maybe that's where part two should have just picked up instead of them going to the future pick up with marty back from the future in 55 i would have gone with that actually could you imagine there's lots of ways they could have gone and it would have been satisfying i can tell you this i remember this distinctly after that ending they had the to be continued and then only for the theatrical release not in the in the version i just watched they showed you clips about what part three was going to be and in the shot in which the delorean is out running indians on horseback, I literally heard at least 10 people groan. <laughs> like, people were like, oh, no. <laughs> like, you sense the betrayal there. And you know what? I didn't go back. I didn't see the third movie in theaters. I didn't see it at all. I was done. A lot of people didn't. Part two made over $100 million. Part three didn't. So a lot of people, they went to part two based on loyalty to one, and then they jumped ship. Yeah. Absolutely. But I have to say, the last few minutes when he's running up to Doc, it felt like Back to the Future to me again. But only three minutes of this movie did it get right, and that's sad. Yeah. Every time I see that scene, I laugh out loud. It's really funny. He's running down the trail right in the middle. The music's perfect, and Lloyd's reaction to him was great. From the letter, I completely agree with you guys, from the letter to that part to the end is a lot of fun. And I have a smile on my face every time I watch those scenes because they got that right. I do too, but yet I wish I could enjoy anything that led up to it or anything that comes after it. Well, yeah. we'll talk about what comes after it in our next podcast. So, Stuart, Arnie, do you recommend Back to the Future Part 2? Stuart. Uh, I think I've been pretty clear on this. You know, the, 
<laughs> the problem is not that it's dark. It's that it isn't light. It's just strained. It's not funny. Uh, it, it just... I kept thinking about the movie Groundhog Day, a movie I love and totally recommend, in which Bill Murray constantly reliving the same day, and he falls in love with Andy McDowell, and he figures out the way to make her fall in love with him by doing all these things, throwing snowballs at her, courting her, hitting all of these marks, trying to woo her, and when he does it with the preconceived notion that it's going to make her fall in love with him, he looks like a crazy man. And she's like, get away from me. And he can't understand it. And that crazy man, that's Robert Zemeckis. Because he thinks he knows what we want, and he's hitting all the things that we've loved and all the things we talked about and cherish about the first movie. He's doing it again, and it's bigger, and he's hitting all of it, but it looks so wrong. And we are not in love with this movie like we were in love with that first movie. We are kind of abhorred by the tramp that it has become. But I would say this. This movie is worth seeing if the third movie is worth seeing. This can only be recommended if the destination pays out. And so that will remain, as I've done in the previous, I'm going to withhold whether I recommend this or not until I have seen the third movie. Because this is not just a sequel, it's a trilogy, and we are in the middle of it. And that's very true. I feel like the end of this movie is no end. It's a first chapter of a four-hour single movie. And this movie, when I sat down and finished watching it, I was like, what is the plot of this movie? And I guess the closest thing it has to one is the whole almanac thing. But really, it's just a lot. I quote Shakespeare. It's a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury and signifying nothing. Do I recommend this movie? No. There's a scene in this movie where Biff, again, gets covered in manure because we liked it the first time, right? I felt like Biff watching this whole movie like I was constantly covered in shit. I know this isn't the worst movie we've seen as any part of our retrospective series, and perhaps I'm being harder on it than I was, say, Friday the 13th Part 8. And you're like, Artie, why were you so nice to Friday the 13th Part 8 and so hard on this? Because this had bigger ambitions, and this came from a higher place and tried to do more with more and failed utterly. Wait, let me get this straight. You're saying this is a worse movie than Halloween 6? I am saying I am more disappointed in this movie than I was in Halloween 6. Wow. This movie tried to do more than Halloween 6 and let me down more than Halloween 6. This movie is a much further step down from Back to the Future 1 than Halloween 6 is from Halloween 5. Mm, I don't know if I agree with you, but all right. Stay away. I want the big 2015 neon signs in the sky to flash. Don't watch this movie. Never watch this movie. <laughs> I said earlier in the podcast, or maybe in the last podcast, that whenever I watch this movie, I watch the next one. I always am compelled to see the next one. But I never really need to watch this one after watching the first one. It's a shame that it's not as strong as the first movie. I mean, how could it be? But on the other hand, it could have been much, much stronger. Do I recommend this movie? This is a weak movie. It really is. I think we've seen worse movies, but I love your point, Arnie, about the ambitions of what this movie was supposed to be. And I think part of that also is the anticipation of us, the audience, about what we wanted it to be. It has to be taken into account somewhat. But then again, they didn't have to deliver this to us. We didn't deserve this. We, <laughs> we came to see something fun, and they did not come back with that. I don't care if the movie was a shadow of the first movie. It's a sequel, but you can't take away that much fun. And they did. They took it away. So on its own, no, I do not recommend this movie on its own. I really don't. Do I think you can go from one to three without watching this one? We'll talk about that next time on Now Playing. 
So thank you for listening to our episode of Back to the Future Part 2. If you enjoyed this episode, please visit our website at www.nowplayingpodcast.com and listen to other episodes and other retrospective series that we've recorded. We have Friday the 13th, we have Halloween, Terminator, Star Trek, many others. You can find all of those episodes on our website. You can also find a link to our forums where you can discuss this and other movies with other fans of Now Playing on our forums. And please leave a message for us on iTunes or on Facebook or on Twitter or anything else so we can hear what you think about Back to the Future Part 2. I want to thank you both for joining me today. It's been fun. It has. (laughs) I'm trying to be positive. And and we are going to see you all back again for the finale, Back to the Future Part 3, very soon. Talk to you then. Ropes? Where we're going, we don't need ropes. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Now Playing's Back to the Future Movie Retrospective. My God, has it been that long? If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review for us on iTunes or post about us on Facebook, Twitter, or your social media avenue of choice. Say hi to your mom for me. You can find more Now Playing Retrospective series at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Series include Halloween, Saw, Friday the 13th, Star Trek, Terminator, and others. So why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2010, and is not affiliated with Universal Pictures, Amblin Entertainment, or U-Drive Productions. Back to the Future is copyright and trademark, Universal Pictures, and no infringement is intended. See you all back again for the finale. Listen to me. For the finale. We really need to do a retrospective series of that movie and the Justine Bateman movie. Satisfaction. Satisfaction. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And Tina Yothers had her own rock career as well. Well, Anyway. (laughs) Michael Gross had one too. It was awesome. And so did Brian Bonsall. Just rocking. <laughs> that really was a rocking show, that family ties. They really they really were off the chain. I was wondering as if in, in this alternate future, Chris Cross was a global success, so everyone wears their clothes backwards. <laughs> no, in no future will Chris Cross be a global success. I'm sorry. How about another say. bad creation? Because they were totally <laughs> crossed out first. <laughs> they were. I remember that spat, but uh, perhaps for a different